Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the first chapter of Matthew. I'll be reading verses 18 through 25. Before I do so, I want to welcome those who are worshiping by way of live streaming today. We consider you a very important part of the life and work uh, and ministry of this church. So thank you for joining us. Let us listen for the word of God. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but had no marital relations with her, until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last year, during the Advent and Christmas season, I uh, preached a sermon on Mary, the mother of Jesus, and about how we as Protestants have, to our own discredit and shame, dismissed Mary by and large, uh, and not really dealt with her or given her the prominence she deserves. I think part of that, surely part of that, it was a conscious decision because as Protestants, maybe we feel that uh, our Catholic brothers and sisters have given perhaps too much prominence to Mary and her role in salvation history. But at any rate, we have ignored her. And this morning, I want to give equal time to another person, part of the Christmas gospel that has been ignored and pushed aside, and that is Mary's husband, the earthly father of Jesus, Joseph. Uh, if we have intentionally ignored Mary, it is probably true that we have just accidentally ignored Joseph. We have just forgotten about him, if you will, uh, and forgotten the relevance and the importance of Joseph in the history of salvation. Have you noticed how Joseph is frequently just absent from the whole Christmas scene? I looked through the uh, hymns for Advent and Christmas in our wonderful new hymnal, Glory to God, which has more Advent and Christmas songs than any hymnal I've ever seen, but I can only find one reference to Joseph anywhere in those hymns, and we will sing that one song uh, shortly. But there's not much about Joseph in the music or in the story of Christmas. Uh, Mary rightly is given a lot of attention uh, and appropriately in the hymns and songs of the season. We sing about the angels. We sing about the shepherds. We sing about the wise men. We sing about cattle and oxen that we don't even know were there. So, but Joseph is seldom found in the liturgy or in the hymnody of the church. 
If you have children or grandchildren, you're probably familiar with this little series called Where's Waldo? Waldo is a little character who wears red and white stripes, and he's in these pictures that are they're so busy uh, that you have to search to find Waldo in the picture somewhere. Well, maybe some religious publishing house will do a Where's Joseph book that we can use at Christmas. Where's Joseph in the whole Christmas scene? Now, I know he's given a bit part in the annual Christmas pageant. Uh, we do give him that role to play, but as soon as the shepherds and the wise men show up, he's pushed aside into the background. Joseph kind of plays the same role that the donkey plays. There's no donkey that we know of, but the, the purpose of Joseph is to get married to Bethlehem where the promised birth can take place. But after that, Joseph disappears. So this morning, I want to bring Joseph center stage and turn the spotlight on him for a while. A few years ago, I read a wonderful book by Richard Foster, who writes a great deal about spirituality. And he says in this book entitled Streams of Living Water that we can find in the characters of the Christmas story different approaches to Christianity, different streams of the faith, as he calls it, different ways of appropriating and sharing the Christian faith. Mary, he says, represents the contemplative strain. You remember how Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Contemplation. Simeon and Anna represent uh, the charismatic stream because they are very much interested in the Holy Spirit, in the Spirit's involvement in the life and work of Jesus. The evangelical stream is represented, according to Foster, by the wise men. I would say it's represented also by shepherds because their job, their privilege was to go and share the news of the birth once that they had uh, experienced it or come to see it themselves. But Joseph represents another stream. Do you know what that stream is? It is the holiness stream. Foster argues that Joseph is a symbol and a model for holiness in the Christian tradition. Now, I don't know what you think about holiness. Um, it's not something we talk about very much in religious circles today. We should. The Bible speaks about it from Genesis through a Revelation. The holiness of our God and the holiness that ought to characterize God's people as a reflection of the character of the God that we serve. But the word holy and holiness can have something of a negative connotation as well. We think of people who are holier than thou. People who have a kind of artificial piety about them. But that is not the root meaning of the word holy. Holy means someone or something that is set apart for the purposes and the will of God. Is this a holy space? It was dedicated for the worship of God. Is this a holy person? Does he see himself or herself as primarily called to represent God and serve God's purposes? But sometimes in today's culture, we look upon holiness with suspicion or even with derision. And we're not sure we want to be called people who are holy. If someone said, oh, you can have five adjectives to describe your life when your life comes to an end, would the word holy be one of those five? How would you like to be described? Smart? Faithful? 
friendly, humorous, accomplished? What about holy? Do we really aspire to be holy? To have our lives reflect the purposes and the will of the God that we serve? There are a lot of mistaken notions as to uh, what makes for holiness, but we need to think, I think, of what the Bible says about it. Holiness is not just an appearance of, of goodness or of godness, but the substance of it. Foster writes insightfully, I think, that uh, holiness is not a human achievement. It's not the result of human willpower. No, holiness comes about because of a godly grace that is received by humble and believing people. I think in reading his book, it enabled me to see as never before that holiness is really an internal thing more than an external thing. Holiness has to do with what's going on in one's heart. Of course it has to do with one's actions as well, but it all starts from the heart. The Pharisees in New Testament times considered themselves quite holy in terms of living a clean and pure and obedient and disciplined life. But everything was external, not internal. And Jesus helps us to see that really in truth their lives were a mess because of what was going on inside of them. Their desires were corrupt. Their hearts were really impure. And so Jesus reminds us in the 15th chapter of Matthew that all evil, all human evil begins first in the human heart. It's from the heart that come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, lying, slander. All of the Ten Commandments are broken in the heart before they're ever broken by the hand or the foot or the mouth. So it's what's in the heart that really matters and which constitutes holiness among God's people. Holiness reminds us of the necessity and the importance of our heart work, therefore, of bringing our desires and our hopes in line with the will and purposes of God, allowing God to transform us from the inside out so that our actions can reflect what is good and godly within our hearts. One can be virtuous, moral without the heart being transformed but anyone whose heart has been transformed will live a different life Foster put it this way if an individual does a particular thing or refrains from doing a particular thing we think he must be virtuous now it is true that virtuous persons do virtuous actions but it is not the actions that make those persons virtuous rather those persons who do the actions do so because they are virtuous. It is a little like the star tennis player who consistently makes good shots. She makes good shots precisely because she is a good tennis player. By sheer luck, I may make a good shot, but that would not make me a good tennis player, as the shots before and after the lucky shot would amply prove. So let's look at Joseph and re-examine and reassess his life to see what it is about him that speaks of holiness and virtue. I heard a story several years ago that I've not been able to forget. It's about a young boy, 10 years old, in Australia by the name of Roy Spence. I don't know why I remember his name, but I do. 
At any rate, when roaming around his ranch or his farm one day, he finds this beautiful rock or stone, and he brings it home, and he shows it to his parents. And he thinks he's found a treasure. And his father said, well, it's a pretty rock, and we can keep it, of course, uh, but it doesn't have any value, so we'll just use it as a doorstop. And every time someone came and visited in the home, the boy would show them the rock that he had found and say how he thought it was a treasure, but his father didn't. One day a man visited the house uh, after some 10 years when the boy was now older and he showed him the rock and said he thought it was a treasure but his father didn't but they've been using it as a doorstop and the man looked at it and he said I think your son is right I think you need to send this off and have it assessed. They did so and what they discovered was that rock that was being used as a doorstop was a black sapphire. 11,000 carats, which they sold for $90 million. (laughs) Well, I wonder if uh, Joseph isn't also a treasure, a treasure that we've just used as a prop for the Christmas story, but haven't recognized his value or his role in salvation history. Without question, he is a model of holiness not because of anything he says because he doesn't say anything are you aware of that Joseph never has a word of dialogue not only in the Christmas story but in the whole of the Gospels he never says a mumbling word Mary does Mary speaks to the angel she sings she talks to Elizabeth she talks to her son throughout his ministry in Cana of Galilee when he performed his first miracle when she's trying to convince him to come back home. But Joseph never says a word. You remember Zechariah, how he was struck dumb because he disbelieved the angel's promise that he and Elizabeth would bear a son who would be the forerunner to Jesus. And yet when his son John was born and he could speak, he started singing of the importance of this child born to Elizabeth and himself but Joseph doesn't have to be struck dumb because he never speaks in the first place someone said he might be the patron saint of the strong silent type (laughs) maybe so sometimes I think if someone hadn't named an aspirin for him we might have forgotten about Saint Joseph altogether (laughs) but maybe it's not pity that Joseph deserves from us so much as emulation and admiration. Maybe Joseph is the kind of person that's content to stay in the background. Joseph doesn't need the limelight, but unquestionably, he is an important part of salvation history. While he was given no speaking part, um, his, his life says volumes. Now, I, I say we ignore uh, Joseph. Now, if you're a young man and you're doing part of the Christmas pageant, you really covet the role of Joseph because one you get to stand by a pretty girl ordinarily and secondly you don't have to say anything you don't have to memorize any lines I remember the story about a mother whose son came by and uh, said uh, uh, the Sunday school teacher gave me the role of uh, Joseph in the Christmas play he she said go back tell her to give you a speaking part well Joseph doesn't have a speaking part but his life speaks volumes for sure and when you look at his life you recognize What a holy and truly heroic person he was. 
The gospel describes him as a righteous man, filled with compassion, unwilling to punish or disgrace his betrothed that he loved. Did you recognize that even before the angel speaks to Joseph, telling him of the nature of this child his wife is carrying, Joseph was going to do the right thing already. He had resolved quietly to put her away and not expose her to harm or to shame. And he could have done both because in those days the law stipulated that a person in her condition without a husband could be stoned to death. He did not want that for Mary. Would other men have done the same thing in the same situation? Would they have resolved to do the right thing even though it wasn't the easy thing or the popular thing? At every turn in the story, Joseph is always faithful. He's always obedient. He always believes. He never questions. He is faithful. When I was growing up on Sunday evenings, we sang from a little temple hymnal. And one of the songs I remember was a gospel tune called Trust and Obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That ought to be the theme song for Joseph's life. He trusted this unbelievable, incomprehensible news, and he believed and he obeyed at all points. When he's told that take this child and flee to another land, he does so without questioning. He is willing to become a stranger in a foreign land in order to take care of those entrusted to him, to him his wife and his child. And later when in a dream the Lord says it's time to go back. You can take up your child and return because the one who wanted to take his life is now dead. He does so. Again without question. But he's ignored. We don't even know what happened to Joseph. The gospel writers don't even do us the, the, do him the courtesy of saying when he died or how he died or what caused his death. He's generally believed to have died shortly after the time Jesus becomes this, uh, lost on their trip to Jerusalem when Jesus was 12. He's never mentioned again after that. So we don't know what became of him. But I believe personally that while Mary is given a lot of attention because of her purity, her availability, her vulnerability, her accessibility, I think one of the reasons Mary was chosen was because of the character of the man to whom she was betrothed. That God would but entrust his own son to this man, this father, and this mother. How desperately our world today needs more people characterized by true holiness, by a true desire to serve God and to let our lives reflect the will and the purposes of God. Not because we have to, not because someone's making us do that, because it's the right thing to do. And it doesn't matter whether it's popular, doesn't matter whether it's partisan, doesn't matter whether it's easy or hard. It's because it is what our God would have us do. We need more people like that in politics, in the church, in life. Have the courage to do the right thing because that will be the trait of a genuine holiness. It's my prayer for you and me and for all of us that our lives might better reflect a life such as that that Joseph lived. The life of a man who's, 
who internally desired and wanted what God wanted. And there's a reward for that. We don't do it for the reward, but Jesus reminds us of what the reward is for that kind of internal purity. Because he tells us in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Because they will see God. They will see God. And I believe because of the purity of his heart, reflected in his actions, Joseph literally and physically and spiritually saw God. And he responded accordingly. So may we. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.